This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Blast off. It's time for another episode of the Laravel News Podcast. It is episode 167. I'm here with Mr. Michael Dorinda, and I am Jake Bennett. Thanks so much for joining us. We're super stoked to have you hanging out with us today. It is May 14th, a beautiful day in central Illinois, and I don't know what kind of day in Aussie, Australia. What kind of day is it there? And why do we always start with the weather, right? Don't know. What injuries? Yep, that's like our medicines we're taking or, or you know, uh, things our kids are doing badly. No. Yeah, so I, end of last year, no, no, end of November, I finished up at my last job and I wasn't starting my new job, my current job until True. the beginning of January. So I remember I had, we like, brought you five, on for a five. project. It was fun. That's right. Um, I, had, I had five, six weeks off of just leisure time. <laughs> And so I was, I was in the gym every day. I was running. I was working out. I was, I was in, you know, in this twelve week. Um, I was doing, I was doing my first proper bulk. And I got four weeks into that, and I was on track. And then like Omicron hit, and I was like, well, I'm not going to the gym now because you know can't risk getting sick. Don't want to get the kids sick by accident, whatever. So, um, I fell off the wagon there. And then I'd had like this mole on the back of my calf for. Yeah, ages, and it's just like oh, I should probably get that looked at while I've got some time. So for viewers who are queasy, this is about to get real graphic. <laughs> trigger warning! Trigger warning! So I went, I went to the um, went to the dermatologist, and they had a look, and they're like, well, it's probably nothing, but we should have a look at it. You know, they're like, we'll just cut it out, you know, to be safe. Okay, no worries. And they got it out, and then they analyze it. They do their you know test and whatever, and they say, well, it wasn't a melanoma, but it was as close to melanoma as it could be without being melanoma. So they're like, so now you come put back. sunblock on your calves all the time. And- well, of of all, like I'm very pale. For those yeah. who haven't <laughs> ever seen, if you've me. never so met Michael before, I'm 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 very very white. <laughs> but of of all the places that I would expect to see, like a melanoma form, you know, the back of my neck, relative to the rest of my body, is practically boot leather. Um. So I was, you know, they're like, nah, your neck, your neck's fine. But this is like one little spot. So that, you know, they cut it out and they're like two weeks and then, you know, before you can do anything. But then I went back after a week for them to take the stitches out and they said, well, cause it's on the back of the calf. You can't really do anything. Like you can't run, you can't squat, you can't. So now you're screwed. You can't do all the other stuff. Yeah. So you said to work on your biceps weeks. and your traps. Right. So for six weeks I couldn't do anything. And, and the only exercise that I was doing at that point was running. Cause that's all I could do. You know, you can do that outside. You can do that anywhere. And then, so I, I didn't do anything for six weeks. And then I was like, I was sore, just like I'd wake up sore, old old man sores. And then, so I went to the physio, you know, worked through the physio, you know, fixed the quad, fixed the hamstring, fixed the calf, like all of these things I now. And then I've had this pain in my right, like in my hip, in the other leg. And I, I went there on Thursday and I'm like, I, I know it hurts, but I can't for the life of me tell you how to reproduce that pain. Like... It doesn't hurt when yeah, I squat or do this moving, or that. Just like, keep moving my leg until it hurts. I'll tell you right. what. Yeah. So, the, you know, the physio did all the stretches and the flexion and made sure that, you know, and, and there was nothing that they did that, that caused pain. Anyway, so I figured out what the pain was yesterday and how to reproduce it. So I know for next time, but because I have to go back for that second excision this Tuesday, it's going to be six weeks before I do anything. So um, 
And like at the end of the six weeks, it'll be the end of June, it'll be the middle of winter. So I ordered an elliptical, well, a cross trainer, I guess you call that over there. Yep, yep, um, sure. So, I don't know what that, no, I think it's an elliptical. Yeah, okay. It's the thing with the arms and the legs. Yep, it's, yep, it's like, it's an but it's like yep, full body, gazelle. so it's without, yeah. A gazelle. So Chuck Norris was running on one of those that bad boys a while ago, <laughs> a gazelle, I think, right? I'm going to have to look it up now. It's It's much better for your body. Like it's a full body kind of cardio workout. And you like, cause there's none of the impact cause you're on like a, a moving plane as you're doing this. So, um, I've got that. I'm, I've been looking at, I've got my eye in a power rack, so I'm just going to get a power rack. Um, or it's not really a power rack. It's like a multi, multi-function trainer thing. Just waiting for the end of financial year sales to kick up and see if we can get, get it for a bit cheaper. And then I'm just going to can my gym membership and set up the home gym. So, um, there you go. You yeah, the total, old, the total gym. That's the one that total Chuck Norris does. Yeah. The total gym. So yeah, um, yeah. So that's so just, our old you know, everything's talk. sore. Yeah, that's and like what you're, to... what thirty six now, thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your your birthday for those of for those of you watching, you can see the happy birthday in the background. It's actually Jake's birthday this time. It's actually my birthday. Michael always gives me crap for having this sign up, and he's like, "Dude, like, how many birthdays do you have? Like, take that thing down in between birthdays." And I'm like, "No, literally, every time you see that, it's because we're actually celebrating a birthday. <laughs> it just so happens that like a lot of our birthdays are on weekends, I guess, or." You know, maybe it's just we're having parties for the kids on their weekend. And so we mm-hmm. always have the happy birthday sign up when it's like just part of the tradition. So today is actually my birthday. And yeah, 37. So um, mm-hmm. happy That's birthday. I'm getting closer and closer yeah. to 40. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a good day. So we're going to uh, digress into all the news here for those of you who That's showed good. up to actually hear about Laravel stuff. That's we're, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. So. Here we go. Diving right in. 9.11, also known as 9.11, stalling while my computer loads. Here we go. Laravel team released 9.11 with an array join method. Methods to check the existence of validated input, opt-in, deprecation, logging, and more. Let's start with the array join method. So Daniel Eckerman contributed an array join method, uh, which we already have an array join method. This is native, but I think this probably does a little, little bit different. Similar to the collection join method. Okay, so here's what you got. If you've got an array with a couple items in it, and you then say tail one, let's say array join stack. What is that? I I'm trying to figure out how that's working there. I think this is just like an object oriented approach to implode. Yeah, it's implode. Yeah, exactly. So join is a little bit um misleading for me because when I hear array join, I think you're just smashing two arrays together, right? But no. Mm. What this is doing is this is really taking an array and then it's uh imploding that array with a string in between each one of the items. It looks mm-hmm. like. Um, it's a little bit more deceptive than that because what it, ha- it actually takes three arguments. So let's let's break it down just for a quick second here. So let's say you have Tailwind, Alpine, Laravel, Livewire in your array. The array join method will take the stack, which is those four items. As a second argument, it takes the thing you want to separate them with, right? Like you would have with an implode, right? So if you just said comma space, you'd end up with Tailwind, Tailwind, comma space, Alpine, comma, space, Laravel, comma, space, Livewire. That's what you'd end up with, right? But as a third argument, you can also pass an item that will be appended between the second to last item and the last item. So this ends up reading Tailwind, comma, space, Alpine, comma, space, Laravel, and Livewire. So no comma, space at the end. It just does the and Livewire. So so it's like, oh, okay, before the last item in the collection, We'll go ahead and do this. That's interesting. That's kind of interesting. I, I, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's nice. I, I guess you, I can see it. Yeah. Like if you've I, got I tags somebody, or something like that. 
and you want to display them as a list, right? And it, it gives you the option as well. You can do you can put like comma, comma and for the last one, and then it'll use the Oxford, Oxford comma in your list. So the Oxford yeah, comma, exactly. Nice, nice, nice little, little addition there. That is an interesting one. Yeah, and so it sounds like there's already something like collection join. Like there is already something for this for collections if you're using a collection, but this is now for the array as well. So Daniel Ackerman. Okay, very cool. Secondly, Sam Carey, the cowboy. If you've not met Sam Carey yet, you're missing out. Sam has some pretty cool packages out there. So Sam contributed two methods to the validated input class to check for the existence of validated input data. These methods are like request has and request missing, except only against validated data. Um, so we have request safe has name and request safe has age false. Let's see here. Missing. Okay, interesting. So it just checks to see if, so it'll return a Boolean value, right? If has or missing but only against the validated yes, data. Yes, only against the validated data. Data. So if you have the request, and then in this case, he's calling safe, which I, I think, you know, help me out here. Safe basically says, just grab the validated values out of there, right? The values that we validated against is what safe does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a distinction between safe and Validated. Right, validated is like, um, give me the items I, that are in that. And safe is, give me the items that are in that and past validation. Mm. Let's have a look. Let's, let's dig in a little bit, shall we? Let's go and look let's it up. Dig in. So after validating incoming request data using a form request or a manually created validator instance, you may wish to retrieve the incoming request data that actually underwent validation. This can be accomplished in several ways. First... You may call the validated method on okay. a form request or validated okay. instance. This method returns an array of the data that was okay. validated. Alternatively, you may call the safe method on a form request validator instance, and this method returns an instance of a illuminate support validated input class, and the object exposes only, except in all methods to retrieve a subset of the validated data or the entire array of validated data. So if you return safe, you get that validated input class back. And then now you can chain on has and missing onto that and it will return true or false. So it returns a Boolean value to tell you right. whether or not that is in it. Yeah. And you can also pass in an array, which you can say, does it have these values, right? These selected values that are in this array mm -hmm. and it will return a true or false on that as well. I think, I think the key difference between the two is that validated will return you an array of validated data and safe will return you input an object, object that yeah. you can That's correct. Yep. 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 Good. That's a good distinction there. Okay. We also have a deprecation of stack trace config option. Dries Vince contributed uh, to making deprecation error stack traces opt in rather than enabled by default. So there's two pull requests on this 42.235 and 42.191 for farther details on logging deprecation errors. So if you still want to log your deprecation mm -hmm. errors, you can turn that back on, uh, but it's going to be changed to opt-in rather than enabled by default. So that's 9.11. You can see all of the changes on the change log on the GitHubs. Okay, 9.12. Oh, you know what else? One more thing. One more thing, Michael. Go on, tell me. We forgot to talk about the sponsor at the top of the show. Who's our sponsor? Our sponsor is our good friends at Honey Badger. They are error tracking cron and uh and what's the other thing they do well they, they do, do the web cron and too, they do another not, thing we're not i don't think we're going to talk about that really they do webhooks they but do we're not talking about that they do uptime yeah, uptime and check-in monitoring 
um, and all in one platform. Pretty cool. So we will talk more about those a bit Indeed. later on, but they are good, long-standing friends of ours. Indeed. Okay, 9.12. Back to 9.12. Here we go. Uh, 9.12, released May 10th or thereabouts. Laravel 9.12 has been released with a couple of cool new features. First, we have uh, Tim McDonald, I think, is this one of his ah, first yes, contributions Tim. as an mm-hmm. employee of Laravel. This is to prevent any stray outgoing HTTP requests while testing using the new prevent stray request cool. method. So this is in those scenarios if you're doing a HTTP fake. And when you do HTTP fake, you can pass it a array of key value pairs where you have the uh, the outgoing request URL and the um, the response that you want to fake for that request. Now, before Laravel 9.12, only the things that you specify in that array would be faked. If you had another request being sent that you weren't catering to, um, for example, you wanted to test some integration with, with GitHub, but as part of that test, some request also went to Stripe. Previously, this would just make that request to Stripe rather than going through the fake, whereas with the prevent stray request method, it will throw an exception um, if there's a if there's an unknown or unexpected request being sent. So definitely check that one out. Um, we've also got Carol Fail. Carol, cool. That's a interesting one. That one. Depending on where they're from, I suppose. I uh, contributed a assert throws method, which adds a way to test exception handling using closures. So. In PHP unit, there's like the expect exception method, or you can use the expect exception annotation to say that you're going to get an exception thrown as part of some test that you're running. So now you can use this assert throws and pass it a closure, um, which will then allow you to make assertions against not only um, the, the exception that's being thrown, but that it's a specific type or that the message is a specific message um, or, or error code or things like that. So definitely check that one out. Uh, Tim McDonald also contributed the ability to force all HTTP requests using Laravel's HTTP client to be faked. And if a HTTP request is not faked in a test, the test will throw an exception. Uh, so this was their prevent stray request at the top of this section. Next up, Dennis Islander contributed a throw if method to the HTTP client that will throw an exception if the condition evaluates true. So you can do a HTTP colon colon get, um, oh sorry, HTTP colon colon base URL, throw if true um get not found so you can pass in some some condition that evaluates true or false there so definitely check that one out if you're wanting to make assertions against certain scenarios there next up jesper nordsey contributed passing key value arrays to the get arguments and get options methods on the artisan commands for a slightly easier interface so uh, previously you would have to return an array of arrays um, now you can just return get arguments. I think maybe the previous way that you used to pass arguments was a little bit, mm, like you said, like it's almost it almost reminds me of like named arguments. Mm. Is that what it's called? Named arguments in PHP? How you can like specify the name and then you pass right, the value. Yeah. It sort of feels like that a little bit. Oh, this allows. Okay, so this allows. Yeah, okay, it allows you to pass a key value array where the key is the name of the argument and the value is the value for the argument so that you can pass them in an arbitrary order or, or you could omit arguments that you don't want to set. So yeah, as you say, like the like the named argument stuff in PHP 8. Mm-hmm. And it works for get arguments that makes and more get sense. options We're on the same page. both of those arguments and options, yeah. Right, yeah. So previously you would have to specify like if you had a null as an option 
or an empty string or something like that, and then you wanted to pass like the first value and the fourth value, you'd previously have to pass all four and and then you know know what those intermediate um, arguments were and have to provide the default values there if you just wanted to not specify them at all. Whereas now you can use the key value array to to handle all that for you. So we got there in the end, but that's a that's a nice contribution from Jasper. Next up, Patrick O'Meara contributed the inverse of the where morphed to and all where morphed to methods. Um, so now we have a where not morphed to um, and all where not morphed to. So if you if you've made those um, if you've ever had to make those queries, you can check that out. Tim McDonald also contributed sharing contextual information across all logging channels. So this is in a service provider's boot method. You can say log colon colon share context, and then you could pass in the example here, it's an invocation ID. So it's useful if you want to track a single request in your log file and passing some data in there. So rather than having to sort of come up with that yourself and then um, pass that into each instance of log, if you set this in your service provider's boot method, this will automatically be merged in with all of the contextual information. So that second parameter that you pass to the log method through through a request. So definitely check that out. That, that'll be useful for keeping track of a single thing. So you could sort of mark, you know, the top of your request coming in as like incoming request and that'll have the, uh, the invocation ID in there. And then you can go and search your log files for that same invocation ID and you'll see the, the entire sort of process of that log flipping through your um, execution lifecycle. So that's a nice one there. There's some additional documentation in the Laravel docs for that one. You can now pass an array to delay method uh, to specify the delay amount for specific channels. Uh, this is per, per notification channels. So if you're doing a user notify and you want to um, delay sending emails and SMSs, you can say user notify, uh, open brackets, and then pass the class in there. And then you can say arrow delay and pass an array of key value pairs with the notification channel and the delay for sending that. So you can say mail should be sent in five minutes and SMS should be in 10 minutes. You can also define a with delay method on the notification class if you wanted to do this across all calls to that notification. So you can see the delaying notifications per channel documentation as well. Gee, that was a tangly one. There was some some curly new things yeah, in there. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Hey. Um that delaying notifications per channel, I'm trying to think of a good reason for doing that. Like, why would you have mail and SMS go out at different periods of time? I'm just trying to, like, wrap my head around that. Why would you do that? Um, well, you know, you might have a script that runs at midnight and sends email. You know, email, most people may not have notifications on, but SMS usually is going to make a, a bing bing. So you might say, like, send this email right now, but send the SMS in eight hours or nine hours or whatever. Ah, sure. Yeah, Possibly. like, I can imagine that being true if, like, if, for example, like, okay, for compliance reasons, I could see using this. Because emails is pretty much like a wide open thing. Like, you can send email whenever. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it doesn't matter. There's not a lot of rules around email necessarily. When you come down to, like, phones, people's phones and stuff, like, for example, we have strict rules where you can't call or text somebody before 8 o'clock, I think, in their time zone. So if you have a notification right. that's going to go out and it's like, hey, mail them now, that's fine. When you look at the timestamp mm -hmm. on the, uh, you know, the time zone for the person that you're looking at, and you're like, yeah, it's actually not a time that we can send it. Let's just mark it to be sent at 8 a.m., right? Yeah. You know what I mean? That would be interesting. That That is pretty cool, actually. I think... I think possibly the example is just showing that, like, you know, you could delay them differently per channel. Sure. Right. Um, 
but not necessarily that you would send mail and SMS separately. From the from the pull request itself, the, the description reads, we have a lot of users who don't want to receive notification emails during the night and some that do. So this is essentially just lifting I that. I can totally see um, that being the case. To, yeah, it's like if, you know, there's going to be a lot, maybe I get a lot of emails. I'd rather not see them. I'd rather than not come in in the middle of the night. Like I'd rather just get alerted in the morning and like, you know, show me everything at 7 a.m. That a bunch of stuff blew up last night because I'm not going to see it at midnight. So just show me in the morning. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. That's a cool yep. little addition there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Very a good cool. one. There is, I mean, there is currently a way of doing this by setting a property inside of the the via method of a notification. So this just services that to to a first class behavior. Yeah. Little little sugar for you. Okay. That mm-hmm. is all the releases we've got. We're going to move on to packages here. Alo- Aloya? Aloya? How would you say that? Aloya? Aloya. Aloya. Yeah, I guess Aloya so. it is. Okay. So let's talk about Aloya. Aloya is a flat file CMS for Laravel 9. Yes, there are other ones, right? I feel like there's plenty of flat file CMSs we have talked about. But this one is is pretty cool. So uh, everyone's favorite human, who we have not mentioned by that name for a while, Mr. Paul Redmond. Thanks, Paul, for all your contributions to the Laravel News blog. We appreciate you. He contributed this one, Aloya. Aloya? Oh, my word. I'm going to get tripped up saying that every time. Is a flat file content management system for Laravel. So the reason why this is nice is because you don't need to rebuild your entire application to offer CMS capabilities. You can include Aloya in your existing application. So it offers these content types out of the box. So you can manage these in flat files in Markdown or in HTML. Here they are, a page, an article, a content block, or a meta tag. So for example, if you had the article, if you called article all, you're going to get a collection of all the articles, or you can say article find, and you can locate it by the slug title. A more advanced example of using an article, which would update the flat file in the chosen format would be to say something like article find, pass in the slug. You can set the extension, markdown is the default, but you could also say HTML, and then you can set matter. And when they say they have these blog, uh, sorry, these uh, content types out of the box, what it means is they have specified schemas, if you will. So like they have description, is published, is scheduled, the post date. And these are things that you actually don't think about until you're building it out yourself. So for me, it's like just the other day we had a, we built this little blog engine with Nova as the backend and that's fine. It, work, it works great. But then we noticed when we move something from draft to published, it marks it as a state of published, and then the is published is changed to a date time. But if you change it from published back to draft, it doesn't clear out the is published timestamp. <laughs> and these are the little things you run into, or like you realize, like after a while, like, oh, we actually need a it's a is scheduled timestamp for that as well. So these content types that come for come with it out of the box and give you sort of the schema um, are actually pretty helpful. So you can do this article find, then you can do set matter, and you can update these keys in this article. And then you can set the post date, you can set the body all fluently. So it's really nice. It, it looks really nice and feels really good. And then you just save it. They also have a content block, which is another interesting content type because it allows you to create partial content blocks and render them in a blade file. So basically what you get with <laughs> this is you get um, the ability to define all of the content really easily using this built these pre-built content types, but then you get complete control over how it's visually displayed, right? And if you look at some of their documentation, they basically say as much. They say, you know, it's fine. There's a bunch of stuff out there that you could sort of pull in, but then you're really 
you're sort of bought into how they decided it was going to be shown. Right. And that's why everybody kind of builds their own, right. Is because of that reason. And so they're basically saying, we want to add a really light touch here. We're going to give you the content types. You can modify them and then you can handle how you want to display them. So uh, pretty nice. And then it also saves them as flat files. So it actually, uh, you know, puts a dot markdown file or a dot HTML file in a location of your choosing. So you could save it to S3 if you wanted or something like that, as soon as you mm-hmm. update that value and then away you go. So pretty nice. looks pretty cool. So if that's something you're interested nice. in, check that out. Yeah, definitely. That uh, seems, it seems simple as well. I know that there are some flat file solutions out there that are like kitchen sink, mm-hmm. yep, you yep. know, everything that you could ever possibly. And like, that's fantastic if that's, that's what you need and, and you're working, you know, if you're working in an agency and, and you don't really know the kind of work that you're going to be doing. So you need to be able to have something that's as versatile as possible then, you know, you might use one of those things. But if, if you're doing very basic stuff and all you need is, you know, some content blocks and the ability to, to you know, post and pages and, and things like that where you don't need a full-blown experience and, you you know, you, you're able to do stuff in Markdown, then this this is a, a nice Indeed. option as well. So definitely check that out. It yep. looks very interesting. Uh, next up, we have a package here from people at Square. So Square, the, the payment processing company. This is Fluent Validation Rules with a package called Laravel Hyrule. It is an object-oriented, composable, and fluent API for writing validations in Laravel. So we all know the validations at the moment have have two, two main flavors. You've got the string, the pipe-separated string, and you've got an array. So you can say, you know, post t- or title, arrow, you know, and then square brackets, required, comma, string, comma, min, whatever. So Hyrule works by providing a builder object that lets you build rules around the expected form fields. And the fields can be simple scalar data types or complex arrays and objects. For example, you can have a basic rule that is just um, using the Hyrule create method to return a builder instance. And then you can say builder, arrow string, first name, arrow required, arrow max 255. And then go builder build, which will build out your rules array, which you can then pass into your validator instance. Most forms submit multiple fields and in order to traverse multiple fields, you can just chain them together using the end method. So that that the end method will essentially terminate that block of rules or that you know array value. Not only can you define validations for scalar fields, the package allows you to validate objects, arrays of scalar fields and arrays of objects. So it's quite comprehensive in terms of like nesting and specifying um, you know deeply nested objects and arrays. And if you're you know accepting JSON, payloads and you want to validate something that's like three levels deep you can do all of that with this package um and it and it kind of makes it a bit easier you can using indentation levels in you know when you're defining these rules you can specify you know you can see kind of the the hierarchy of all of these things a little bit more clearly than than using the like arrow uh, the you know the asterisk based validation rules um so i'm not sure if i like this or not um i think it's certainly an interesting approach i don't i don't know necessarily that's more more readable but it certainly seems like it's more powerful in terms of what it gives you out of the box um so if that's something that you are interested in then then certainly have a look we'll have links to it in the show notes. yeah i was we were and it's interesting to see that yes. square is um that's using yeah we were, we were talking about this a little bit before the show and i am interested sort of what their use case is for this because the deal is um when you got something like square right i mean i'm sure validation is a huge 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 part of what they're doing like they're a financial processor right and so Mm -hmm. i'm sure they have really good reasons for why they're doing it this way 
And I don't know. I, I, I would just be really interested to see kind of how that works. And speaking of payment processors, actually the other day, uh, dude, I had a mess on my hands. My parents were here and they were like, hey, let's meet for lunch. I was like, great, sounds awesome. And our payment processor went down like right before, yeah. like our online payment processor was like, oh no. And thankfully I was able to get it back up. And But we have a backup payment processor. But one of the most important things that we have for that, that I just set up not too long ago, because I didn't realize I didn't have something set up, was uptime monitoring for it to be able to know immediately that it's gone down. And that, my friends, is what Honey Badger can do for you. Because let's face it, right? Even if you have amazing developers like they have on Square, and even if you're writing custom libraries like they have at Square to handle validation, even code written by those amazing developers is going to have errors. It's going to happen, right? And you're going to have downtime. And you need to know very quickly when the downtime happens. So Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining all of those things, error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. One pane of glass. You go to one place and you can see everything. They send you alerts real-time. And maybe you can even configure them to send them not in the middle of the night, but at 7 a.m. in the morning. Who knows? With all the context you need to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly get in, fix it on, and get on with your day. So the included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues via vis-a-vis my payment processor, right? Or if you have background jobs, go missing or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap bootstrapped monitoring solution. No shark tank over here. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Thanks, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show. We really appreciate it. What is it called in the UK? It's not shark tank. It's like dragon's lair or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, something something. like that. So anyway, none of that for Honey Badger. They're just bootstrapping it over there. Awesome team. So check out Honey Badger. Good stuff. Okay, on with the show. Laravel Logfake 2.0 was released with support for Laravel 9 and a completely closer, closure-based assertion and another, API. another one from so the this Aussie is a project man. from... Man, Tim McDonald. It's just amazing. It. It's amazing what happens when these people go I to know. work for Laravel. They just start churning yep. stuff out. When you can focus on yep. it full-time, it's amazing. Exactly. So this is, this is Tim McDonald finally tagging a major version, uh, version 2 of the Logfake package. As I said, it's a Laravel 9 support. There is a rewrite of the log assertion API. There is context, there is context support and assertions against the channel's context, inspection capabilities using dump and DD, and support for custom messages. So the log fake package is an excellent way to ensure critical logging happens through testing assertions. As a basic example from the readme, you first you first bind the log fake instance, and then you can assert logging. So this allows you to log fake colon colon bind and then in your tests you can use log assert logged and then you can check against the log entries to make sure things are done. Now, when this package first came out, I was like, mm, I don't I don't really use logging beyond like a debugging sure. context when I'm like debugging specific issues. Okay. And and you were you were a proponent of this log mm, testing. Yeah, we were doing some uh, when it time, came yeah. out and and uh, I I have turned and seen the light now. We use logging for a lot of things at my at my day job in terms of tracking, you know, when certain data comes in or when data was unhandled or malformed or mangled or whatever else. And so, you know, putting in tests in place to make sure that we are a logging those kinds of things that we need to to kind of reproduce issues and making sure that the correct data is going into them. I can see now 
you know, two years later, three years later, great value in such a package. So uh, definitely check this out. There's also in version two, as I said, some debugging tools. So you can use log dump and log DD and log dump all. And you can even use dump on specific channels to um, get log messages dumped out during a test rather than having to, you know, bounce around between your, you know, your code and your test and your log file. You can just dump that all straight out into the terminal when the tests run. And you can also inspect logging and write assertions around them using the various log helpers. So you can say uh, log all logs. You can make assertions that a specific number of logs were made and so on and so forth. Good stuff. And um, along with Laravel 9.12's per channel logging context API that we mentioned earlier in the show, the log fake package also asserts against context. So you can make sure that some value is specified within there as Very well. Nice. So check out the available assertions documentation to see complete log assertions api that is available you can learn more about this wonderful package get full installation instructions documentation and view the source code we'll have all of that for you in the show notes um and also the like little image that he's got is like a take on vegemite if i'm not mistaken Mm. it is a vegemite inspired logo for sure created by our good friend so if you're a friend of uh vegemite you might want to check this one out okay moving on speaking of logs Mm. Uh, if you've not used Nova 4 yet, you should definitely check it out. By the, I mean, I don't know if they still got the deal on it. It was an unlimited license. No, I think it was a launch oh my week gosh. only. I, I got that unlimited mm-hmm. license ASAP. I was like, boom, yes, we use Nova all over the place and we love it. So if you didn't get the unlimited license during the sale week, you should still get it. It's worth it. Um, and like I said, we use it all over the place. And there's a lot of updates coming out. Like every, I feel like it's like twice a week, um, Hemp Hill and the mm-hmm. Laravel team are kind of pushing out yeah now now that now that they've um you know got version four yep. out and they're not sort of knuckling down on getting that out it's it's time to just churn out and they are features and yeah. fixes and and whatever else and they and they are hempill doesn't stick stick to that weekly no, release not. cycle he's just whenever there's whenever there's stuff to ship, we ship yep exactly so he released the nova log viewer source code which is a tool for viewing your application logs via the nova UI. So this is on novapackages.com. Novapackages.com is a site maintained by Titan. Um, So a lot of packages for Nova are available over there. The UI allows you to select which log files to view and even supports polling. So you can kind of do live viewing. So if you don't want to get into your server and do tail dash F and find the log file, you can so you can do polling and it'll just pull it in for you automatically. Further, you can use the source code that they've released to see how these tools integrate with Nova. And you can use this as a starting point to build your own stuff. So if you wanted to see kind of behind the scenes, how is the Laravel team doing sort of these sort of things, this is a great spot to start looking. Uh, So while looking through the source code, there's a couple of gems that he uh, points out here. The Fetch API controller shows off a neat instance method that they've not used before called content after line. And again, this is Paul Paul, Paul Human, Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human. Uh, so anyway, he's basically just espousing the benefits of taking a look through the uh, source code and doing some source diving on this. If you've not written a package with uh, Laravel Nova before, then you should check this out. And also you could just use Laravel uh, Nova Log Viewer because uh, that's pretty pretty nifty. All right. That's that. A lot of log stuff nifty, today. Nifty. Uh, we got the, the log context stuff. We got the log fakes. We got the Nova Log Viewer package. All good things. All about the all logs, the all about the logs. Now it is tutorial time. The first one that we have here is an article written by, all the way down here, I think this is an Ash Allen special. It is. Yes, Ash Allen. This is how to get a website's favicons 
in Laravel. There may be times in your Laravel applications where you want to display a favicon from another website. For example, you could have a link to an external site that you want to display the favicon with. If you're doing, you know, website monitoring, or uptime monitoring, you might want to fetch the favicon. So this is part of a of Ash Allen's side project called Mango2, where this is exactly what I wanted to do. It's an open source, privacy-first URL shortening service. And as part of the service, Ash is building an analytics dashboard where users can sign in and view all of the shortened URLs that they've created in the past. So putting the favicon on there is a nice little hint uh, for displaying those kinds of things. So uh, this is a tutorial. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But there is a new package called favicon fetcher that you can drop into your Laravel application and use it to get favicons. It has support for multiple drivers and also has caching and storage functionality as well. Uh, it's a it's as good as you'd expect for any Laravel package. You compose or install, you publish your vendor files, and then you just call favicon colon colon fetch. Um, there is some additional features in there um, for fetch or so that you can perform some expectation if the first fail the the first lookup doesn't work. It uh, throws exceptions if there's issues there's different drivers as i said um so you can use uh, google shared stuff favicon kit unavatar uh, these are for parsing icons so ico files that are used for favicons are not necessarily going to be converted into pngs and things like that so definitely check those out uh, different drivers you can choose different drivers you can use fallback drivers you can add your own drivers so on and so forth. And then storing them is as simple as calling store on your fetch response. All the good stuff, very well thought out. Um, if Fabricons is something that you have felt you need to put into your applications, definitely check this package out and the tutorial. Thanks to Ash Allen for putting nice that job, together. Ash. Way to go. Okay, we've got a Laravel Jetstream add-on here. So this is, um, actually, I don't know that's an add-on. So this is a tutorial, but it talks about adding CRUD with Spassy permissions. So Spassy permission is a package that you can add in. And Laravel Jetstream is a starter kit that helps you not only with auth scaffolding, but with extra functionality like Teams or two-factor authentication. But a lot of people uh, struggle with customizing Jetstream after installation and with adding additional functionality on top of it. So this article basically dives into adding a simple CRUD with roles and permissions on top of Jetstream. So in this tutorial, they talk about installing Jetstream uh, getting signed in, and then where you land after you get signed in, which is your dashboard page. So they uh, go through how would you create a database structure for adding tasks, not the Jetstream portion, but how would you go through building that out? How would you go through building an index for those different tasks? How would you in- introduce a Jetstream table, uh, It's a, which is a, a uh, component that is already uh, included when you use Jetstream? Uh, how can you end up using that component, reusing it for your own purposes uh, with Tailwind CSS? How can you use different buttons and forms that also come with Tailwind? C- or sorry, not with Tailwind, but with Jetstream. So it's basically, if you want to build a basic app while also scaffolding out your auth and all the team stuff with Jetstream, this is a good tutorial to check out. This is by Povillis, uh, who is a absolutely prolific laravel vlogger blogger this dude is all over the place and i actually of the community links that i have i've got two of them are his two videos that he's put out so um if you're not already following pavilis's youtube channel you should definitely do so he's got some great tips on there and i think he posts like literally daily so this guy's a he's a he's a monster 
He's awesome. It uh, it certainly it certainly takes something to um to be able to put out content every I mean, single day. And this day. is not like a short tutorial. There's a lot here. There's a no. lot here. There's a there's a chunky yeah. one. And and there's a second one. This other one that we have, Laravel roles and permissions, gates and policies explained, is another meaty tutorial from Pavilus. It goes into using gates in terms of permissions and how they're synonymous. There's various ways to check gate permissions. You can use checks using middleware. So the middleware, you can use can colon and then the name of the permission you want to check against. You can use can meth- the can method directly against a user. You can use cannot. You can um, make assertions using the gate facade, using gate allows, gate denies. You can do abort. Um, so you can do abort if gate denies you can use this authorize in your controllers there's form request classes that you can use as well it's all over the place yeah so many Um, and there's also model-based sets of permissions using policies which are really nice if you want to do you know authorization based on particular models you can say you know view any view create update delete restore force delete this automatically injects the user and the model where relevant and then you can make tests against or or you can make conditional checks against all that kind of stuff to determine whether or not a user can do a particular action. Um, there's the ability to use universal sets of permissions using things like the you know storing these values in the in the database. You can use the before method to say, you know, check before any policy check, go and look in here to see, you know, is it an admin user that should just have super privileges for everything? Um, and then talks into, about saving the permissions in the database. And it talks about, again, the Sparsy Laravel permission package. It talks about Bouncer and, of course, refers back to the article that we had just spoken about. Um, so definitely check that out. There's there's a lot of good stuff there in terms of using this stuff for for validation and authorization and permission checking. Check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Pavilus and all the wonderful work that you do for our community and the content that you and put these out. are like hard-fought lessons, honestly. I, I feel like that's that's very true. Roles and permissions is one of those things where it seems really simple on the surface. And it is really simple to get started with. Laravel makes it super easy. Like define a gate, boom, you're done, right? Have a model, model, define a policy, boom, you're done. But there is a lot of fine details to getting this right so that you can manage it easily and you can discover quickly what abilities different roles have and all those things. And then, you know, what package does what and how is it working behind the scenes to actually accomplish its purpose? So this is stuff that if you've not had to build out any sort of complex set of rules for who can do what, this is one of those articles you're going to want to look at before you have to do that because it explains really simply. And this is one of the gifts that Pavilas has is he really does have the ability to take all this content and all this material and distill it down to the most necessary pieces of information that you need to know so you can get going with it as quickly as possible. So if you've if you've not had to do permissions, not had to do roles, not had to do anything like that before, uh, you can look at the Laravel docs and it's sufficient to get going, right? It makes it super simple. But if, you, if you're going to need to do anything um, a little bit more complex even, this is going to be a great article to start with. And he's going to point you in some directions of some packages that can really help because there's a couple out there as well. Uh, that that you can do that you can use right. Uh, we already talked about Spassi. Uh, there's also Joseph Silber who has Bouncer, which is great too. Um, so yeah, check those out. Mm. Good stuff. Hey, I am looking to see if we want to do community links. We've got another one by Ash Allen. Twenty useful Laravel tips, which is great. It's twenty useful Laravel tips, uh, and then we have two by Pavilas. I'll just mention them here. 
he goes through debugging Laravel collections. So dumping step-by-step results, which is cool. So if you need to step through your collections, because a lot of times you're going to have like, collect these items, then do a filter, then do a map, then do a reject after you've done a map. Then we do an each over that. And you need kind of need to step through. He has a video tutorial, which again, his videos are like six minutes long, right? So not too big of an investment. If you need to do something like that, cool one to check out. The other one was uh, this idea of nested controllers and scoped bindings. He says for security. And real quick, the explanation for for security on there, it'd be something like if you have a, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say a tenant, but like if you had a group, and then a group had a list of tasks. You would maybe have group slash your URL would be maybe maybe be something like todos.com slash group slash one slash tasks slash three or something like that, right? Well, if yeah. somebody ended up doing uh, slash tasks slash 100, maybe that doesn't belong to group one. Maybe that belongs to group five. But if you're not careful about how you're doing your bindings, it'll just automatically say, yeah, sure. Groups slash one slash tasks slash 100. Sure. Yeah. Give it, give it to them. Well, um, Laravel has this new way to basically make sure that the task that is getting loaded up actually belongs to the group that was previously specified earlier in the URL. And this used to be a pain in the neck to do a really big pain. Actually, um, mm-hmm. Taylor has made it laughably simple. Uh, but Pavilis goes through how to do that and set that up and how to make sure that you're using that well. Um, so a couple items there in the community links that I thought were worth highlighting. We'll put them in the show notes. Show notes so check those out if you get a chance. And uh, we're right at about 40 minutes here. So we're going we're gonna to wrap this one up. Michael, any final words of wisdom for our wrap audience? No. Sorry sorry to those of you that, that watched this video and had to... <laughs> to make it through that we're uh, we're in struggle town today absolutely I think. yeah it's it's okay it's late bit here it's 11 11 <laughs> i'm gonna go watch some uh severance or something i think so good times okay folks uh this was episode 167 if you'd like to find show notes for this episode you can do so at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 167 uh, if you'd like to give us a shout out on Apple Podcasts or on your podcatcher of choice, we would really appreciate if you'd give us five stars. That would be awesome. And of course, with any questions or comments, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorendo, or at Laravel News. Also, shout out to Luke, who is going to be starting on my team on Monday. Super stoked. Mr. Luke, you guys will be seeing good stuff from nice. that, dude. He's an up-and-comer for sure. All right, everybody. That's it. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Wish you well, and we'll see you next time. See you. Bye.